So one of the greatest times of my life was when I was in seminary. If you're not familiar with seminary, that's grad school for those that want to go into vocational ministry. When I was at seminary, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I loved my time there. Uh, the content that I learned was off the charts incredible. Uh, the professors that I had were amazing. I loved everything about it, from the lectures to the chapels, from the papers that I wrote to the books that I read. But there's one thing that was at seminary that I really did not like, and that was taking tests. Now, I had all kinds of different tests. There were short answer tests, true and false tests, short, uh, multiple choice. There was, uh, some tests were 10 pages long. Some tests were just one question long. But the one thing that all of those tests had in common was that they were all ridiculously hard. I could not... I couldn't stand taking tests. In fact, it was so nerve-wracking for me. I would start studying days in advance, and then the day before the test, I would get all of my, my study guides together, and I would study all the way up until midnight, go to sleep for three hours, wake up at three in the morning, and then start studying again. Then I would have my notes with me as I'm driving an hour to school. Then I'd sit down on my desk, still trying to study, and then as soon as the test got in front of me, I blanked out. I started freaking out because I couldn't remember anything that I'd studied. And I started worrying that anything or everything that I'd studied, I would get wrong on the test. And I, I just lost it. I, I tried my hardest. I did my best. I actually did really well on the test. My best friend was also with me at seminary. And he never seemed to be too worried about tests. He would get there. He would study maybe a little bit here and there, not a whole lot. He would get to the test. And he was not worried at all, not anxious one bit. We'd take the same test. I would get one grade, and his grade was not that much different than mine. And I asked him, how in the world are you getting such good grades when you're not even studying? He says, well, here's my trick. When I get to a question on the test that I don't know, I just rewrite the question to something I do know, and then I answer that question instead. Eight out of ten times it works. And he got great grades from rewriting these questions on the test. I mean, tests, tests give me anxiety. Probably the worst anxiety ever is with tests. And I don't know if you're like that. I think in general, all of us really don't like tests. I mean, they, they seem so final, so daunting, so judgy. Like, people are trying to find out what we know by a test. I mean... Do we really know the content? If we get all of those questions correct, does it really mean that we know the material or that we've actually crammed a lot of informa information in our brain for a short amount of time? If we get all those questions wrong, does it mean that we are in complete and utter failure in every era of our life? Or maybe that we, do we really not know the content if we fail the test? I mean, is that what a test does to show us? Is a test to show us how we fail or how much smarter a teacher is than us. Every time that my, my daughters take a test, they're in home studies, every time they take a test, it's very carefully explained to them. Now, the purpose of this test is just simply to help you to understand what you have learned and what you are grasping in the lessons that you have learned. So it was not meant to, to judge you or say you're, you're too smart or not smart enough. It's not meant for any of those things, but just to see where you are at. Tests are, are very much like that. No one really like, likes these tests. 
But if I were to really think through what is a test designed to do, I would say that a test is designed to help you to understand what you know and if that's made any difference in the way you live your life. For example, if you have learned a certain math operation, will that help you in solving certain mathematical problems in the future? Is a certain historical fact that you have learned help you to understand what led to certain decisions and actions in the past? If you've learned a certain chemical compound, how things work together, does that help you create something? If you've studied law and you know all of these different laws, does that help you understand how to interpret it for specific cases? If you've studied human anatomy and everything that goes on with the body, does that help you to understand how to care for a body that is hurting or something is wrong with it? Tests are designed to see, to see if there's any difference that has been made in our lives. In fact, I would say that tests really go to, to show us what we know, show us where we need to grow, and how we need to show it in our lives. They show us what we know, where we need to grow, and how to show it in our daily lives. Now, tests show up every area of our lives. None of us can escape tests. We all will experience them at some point. But none of them are so important as the test to determine what our eternal destiny is. Every single person in this life at some point is going to come to the conclusion and this question, what will happen to me after I die? Where will I go after I die? Some spend their lifetimes running from that question. Some struggle with that question every single day. The good news is this. If, I mean, if you have been at Keystone for any length of time, you would have heard this over and over. The good news is that we have the promise of eternal life through God, through the work of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. It's amazing that we have this. And it's ours if we believe it and trust in Jesus alone. I would venture to say, though, that while many of you in this room have made that profession of faith, there are more questions that come into our mind. Question is this. How do I know that I really am saved? How do I know that, that God is really going to take me to heaven when I die? How do I know that my faith is real? On the flip side, there are many people that say, hey, I have a relationship with God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But when you look at their lives, there is no difference from their life, from the time that they believed to now. So what has changed? Is it just words? Well, John is going to give us, in his letter, a test that we can look to to help us understand what it is about our faith that makes it real. How do we know that it's real? You see, anyone can make a claim. Anyone can use words. Anyone can say something but how do you know that's real? If someone says, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I, I have a relationship with Jesus. Well, how do you know that's real? Because that's something that they believe. That's a change that takes place inside. Well, the truth is that what changes on the inside will be shown and demonstrated on the outside. In other words, inner transformation will show in outer transformation as well. What John is going to say, and what our big idea is for us today, is simply this. If your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. 
If your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. Now, I know that you all probably didn't come to church this morning thinking that you were going to take a test. But today, I'm going to throw out a test for you. So we're all going to take a test together, so grab a pencil. No one's grabbing a pencil. No one's grabbing a pen. All right, it's okay. You don't have to worry about writing it down, all the answers. I'm going to give you the answers to the test, so don't worry. All right, so we're going to take a test together, so grab a pencil. We are about to begin. 1 John chapter 2 says this. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Anyone who says... Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him, truly the love of God has been perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John wants you to have joy. God wants you to have joy. I want to have joy, and I want you to have joy, and that joy is going to come when we have the assurance that we know that our faith is true and genuine. And John is not going to mince any words. He's going to be very direct and honest and upfront to say, this is how you know that your faith is genuine. So question number one, true or false? Very simple, you get a 50-50 chance of getting it right. True or false, I obey God's commands. That's the first test that John gives. I obey God's commands. This is very simple. So in other words, if you have come to know God, it says if you know him, you will obey him. If you have made a clear and informed decision to begin following Jesus, then there will be a change in your life. There will be effects to that decision. And those effects will continue from that moment to right now. When you know someone or you know something, there's a difference that it will make in your life. What John is talking about here is saying this. Listen, you are saying that you know God. And the word he's saying know is very important because he's saying, you are saying you know him. Now, the word is not just knowing facts about him. There's a type of knowledge that we can have where we know all the facts about something. But there's a different kind of word that you know when you know it by personal experience. For example, in the Bible, it says that Jesus did not know sin. Does that mean that Jesus had no clue what sin was? Absolutely not. He knows perfectly well what sin is. He just never did any sin. So while he may know all the facts about sin, he personally never experienced sin. He didn't have that experience. So what John is saying here is there's a lot of people that know God, that say that they know God. Well, they just know facts about him. John is saying if you really know him, if you have experienced him, if you have a relationship with God, it is going to change your life. It will result in you obeying his commands. Obedience to what God is saying. Hold on a second. You might be thinking, wait, I thought that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that works have nothing to do with it. Well, you're exactly right. Works have nothing to do with salvation. 
but they are an indication of your salvation. For example, your, your works, your obedience to God, it is not a condition of your salvation. It's, it's not saying you have to do this for your salvation, but it will be characteristic of it. It will show, hey, if you have a relationship with God, it's going to show in how you obey his commands. The point is that if you have really come to know God, it is going to undoubtedly result in you living your life for him. And as you live your life for him, it will unavoidably show in you obeying his commands. John is here saying something very important. He says, actions speak louder than words. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Actions speak louder than words. What they're trying to say is, you can say whatever you want. You can make whatever claim you want. But what you do is a better indication of what's really going on. Your actions are a better and a clearer window to your soul than your words are. So what John is saying is, anyone here can make a claim to say, I believe in God. I can know him. But if a person disobeys God, he's actually proving by his disobedience that he does not know God. They don't have a relationship with him. Because if you do have a relationship with God, it will show itself in this unquestioningly bowing to God's authority, wisdom, and power. It's that kind of surrender that says, God, your way is best. That's the way I want to go. If we have a relationship with God, it will show itself in how we live our lives. Now, it's important for me right now to make a distinction. What John is talking about here is obedience, not perfection. John is not saying you have to live an absolutely perfect life, otherwise you will not be accepted by God. That's not at all what he's saying. Because he's already showed us in chapter 1 that none of us are perfect. All of us are, are sinners. We all have this, this inside of us. So we don't measure up. What John is saying is, you are, I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm calling you to a direction of holiness, of obedience. In fact, let me say it that way. That's probably a better way to say it. Perfection is the standard Direction is the test. God says, I want you to be like me. I want you to be like me, and I'm perfect. Well, it's going to be almost impossible. It is impossible for us to be perfect this side of heaven. But does your life show that you are headed that direction? Are there changes being done in your life that show that you are headed towards who God is, that you're changing your life to match what his is like, what his character is like, what his attributes are? Are you moving in that direction? Because that is the proof. That's the evidence of genuine faith. Not the words that you say, but the way that you live your life will show you that you have true faith. It doesn't mean that you will not fail and fall sometimes, because we all will. But is your life showing that it's headed in that direction? So the question may come up in your mind, okay, so if I'm saying that I have a relationship with God, it's got to show up in obeying his commandments. Well, what are his commands that I should obey? 
can you give me a list of those commands so I can start obeying those commands? Well, I could sit here and, and spend the next 10 minutes or more telling you all the different commands that you should follow. You should do this or that. But that would be fruitless for you because I don't think that's what John is trying to get accomplished here. I don't think that's his purpose, to tell you a list of commands. Because the list of commands can be a false proof for you. You might think, oh, hey, I read my Bible today. Check. I prayed today. Check. Went to church today. Check. I didn't tell a lie today. Check. You can go down the line and start checking all these boxes. But that's not, that's just giving you another checklist. It's not showing the heart that's been changed. A desire to follow and obey God. So what John's concern is this. Hey, when you come to a situation in your life where you are are butting up to what does God say and what do I want to do, that you will choose what God says and you'll do that instead of what you want to do. You will listen to what he says. Like telling the truth. Like not stealing. Like staying sexually pure like being encouraging with his, your words. There's a necessity for us to listen to what God says. And you might be thinking, well, that's so difficult. You're right. That is hard sometimes. But you're not alone in this. In fact, John wrote in his gospel about the same thing. This is what he said in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. What he's saying is this. I'm going to send you a helper. He's going to help you to know my commands and do them. So what happens when you come to a situation in your life where you're butting up with those things? I know what God says, but I'm, I'm not sure if I want to listen and obey it. Just recently, one of my friends posted on social media, he has now been divorced uh, for seven years, and he says this, I will never get married again. I'll never get married again. So if he finds a woman that he wants to have a relationship with, he said, we're just going to live together. We're not going to get married. And I just hope that the church will accept that. In fact, when I look at what God says in in the Bible, I just think that that's all outdated and for a different time. That that's not really the standards that we should have for today. That it doesn't matter that you should be married or not. That was his approach. But what he's saying is, this is what I want to do. I know what God says that I should do, but this is what I want to do, and I'm going to choose to go my way. When you come in, to what God is telling you to do, how does it feel? Do you buck up against it? Do you try for different kinds of freedom? This is a big indication of your relationship with God. Back in California, we have a, uh, we still have that dog. Her name is Bailey. She's about a 65-pound Pyridoodle. And in California, we had a very small yard. In fact, it was about half the size of the stage, if not a quarter of the size. And she was very restricted, but that's where she would run around. She would have a blast in our backyard. When we got here to Pennsylvania and she saw the big backyard that we have now, she was overwhelmed, started running all over the place, loved it, loved the freedom that she had. But one thing that I realized here in Pennsylvania is that people don't really have fences. 
So our backyard is also our next-door neighbor's backyard and their next-door neighbor's backyard. So she has the freedom to run from one yard to two, three, four houses down without a fence. And she loved it. One time we let her out and she, to go to the bathroom, and she decided that she was going to go on an adventure instead. So she started running, and we started chasing her, chasing after her because we knew that she could get lost. She has no idea where she's at. She ran down to our retention pond. We're like, no, don't go down there. There's ticks and there's snakes down there. Don't go there. So we chased her down the pond. She took off and started running further away. We kept chasing her through houses, through people's yards, and she was making her way back up. We live right on 472. She made her way almost out of the development, right onto 472, major road. And we were freaking out because we thought she was going to get nailed by a car. Thankfully, some people there stopped her uh, and kept her for us so we could grab her and take her back. After that, we hooked up the underground fence that was in our backyard and put a nice little collar on her. So every time that she got close to that, she got a little jolt, reminded her, you are not going to go on an adventure again, at least not today. And that little fence, she can't really see it, but what it does is it protects her from going out. It protects her from going out and getting hurt by the things that are outside of that. But now that she has this, she can see this incredible freedom that she has in her backyard. God sets up boundaries in our lives, these rules that he wants us to follow, the commands. And we might look at them thinking, those are terrible. I don't want to obey God's commands. Why would I want to do this? We don't realize God put these there for our benefit, for our good, because he's a good and loving father. He wants to protect us. So when we get close to that, he jolts and say, no, you'll get hurt out there. It will hurt your body and your soul. I'm putting these commands here for your good your benefit. So how do we feel when we come up against God's commands? Do we feel like we want to listen and obey? Or do we want to push back against them and do what we want? That's an indication of our faith. If we choose to say, God, your way is best, I want to follow you and trust you, then that is a great indication that you have true, genuine faith. Because your faith is changing you. I'm growing in my love for God. And that is showing me that I can trust him and obey him. Because if my faith hasn't changed me, my faith hasn't saved me. John goes on to say in uh, chapter 2 verse 5, he says this. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. John goes on and gives us question number two. Question number two. You guys ready for it? It's easy. It's fill in the blank. Not too hard. God's love is perfected in me when I obey him. God's love is perfected in me when I obey him. It says this. Whoever says he keeps it, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected. What does that mean? Is it God's love for us is perfected? Is it our love for God that's perfected? Is it we have the same quality of love? Our love is like God's love? I think in this passage, John is using our love for God because he's talking about the evidences of our faith, showing that we are truly in a relationship with God. So I think he's saying this. If you keep his word, it shows that your love for God is true. 
that is accomplishing its work in your life. If you are a parent here today, or maybe you've heard your parents say this, don't you love me? Don't you love me? If you love me, you would listen to what I say. You would obey what I'm telling you to do. If you love me, don't you realize that I want the best for you in your life? Am I the only parent that says that? Does anyone else say it? If you love me, you'll listen to me. You will obey me. And that's what John is trying to get across to say this. I want the best for your life. If we truly love God, we would desire to obey him with our lives and actually do it. I like how author David Jackman says it. He says, the more we obey God's word, the more open the more we open the door for his love to accomplish his purpose in our lives. The test of living in the light is growing in love for God. And the ultimate proof of that is not in the heightened emotion of exciting worship, though that may well be an expression of reality, but in the daily, detailed, disciplined obedience by which our characters are being transformed into the image of the God we love. There are things that are going to change in your life when you love somebody. Like when you get a new friend and you develop a really close friendship with them or a spouse or a boss that's really great or a new country, that obligation to do good things for that person changes from an obligation to a joy. I love to obey. I love to do things for you because I love you. The obligation is taken away and is replaced by a joy in lovingly doing what God says. If we really realize what God has done for us, that God loves us so much, so incredibly much, so much so that he sent his son to live as a human being, and then to experience the cruelty of humanity and face a terrible consequence and punishment for our sin. And then the consequences that we would face for that sin. And then he took that on himself, died in our place, and then rose again to give us eternal life. And God did that for us because he loves us so much. And if we could see just how much he loves us, we will understand it is not an obligation to do what God wants me to do. Look at all he's done for me. It is easy for me to listen and obey him because I know that God loves me. And I want to show him that I love him too. And I'm going to show him that I love him by living my life and obeying him. Even when it's costly. So God, I'm going to choose to love you and I'm going to obey you even when it may cost me a promotion at work, even when it causes me financial loss or social standing, or even when it's inconvenient for me when I have to care for a sick family member or stay in a relationship with a difficult family member. I'm going to do it because I know, God, that you are there with me all the way through it. And I know that you have great things planned for me because of it, and that you're going to use all of these things and work them out for my good and for your glory. I am growing in my relationship with God, and I love him. It shows that because I love him and I desire to obey him with my life. John gives us one final test at the end of this section, verse 6. 
He's going to give us a multiple choice question. So true or false, I obey God's commands. Fill in the blank. God's love is perfected in me when I obey him. And the last one is this. Verse 6, John tells us this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, he being Jesus, and saying, live your life like Jesus. So last question on the test. Living like Jesus means, A, changing your name to Jesus and your wardrobe to match. B, living a perfect sinless life. Or C, living in a way that shows you are a follower of Jesus. What's the answer? It's always C, right? The answer is always C. C is correct. Living like Jesus means living in a way that shows that you are a follower of Jesus. John says, whoever says he abides in him. I love that. John picks up on this. Do you know back at, at, earlier during Jesus' life and ministry, he sat and he listened to Jesus talk about what it's like to have a relationship with him and what it, it means to be connected with him. And that's coming right through what he's saying here. He uses the word abide. And what he's actually referring to is John chapter 15. Let me read it for you so you can hear where John is coming from when he says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine <clears throat> that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, <clears throat> and that your joy may be full. That's exactly what John has been saying all throughout this letter. If you stay connected to him, it will show. That vine, that branches have to be connected to the vine, otherwise they will not live. And whatever is connected to that vine, the fruit that is produced will show what kind of a tree it is. You will not be able to pick grapes from a thorn bush. You will not be able to pick figs from thistles. That's what it says in Matthew. You can't get pears from an apple tree. You can't get cherries from a peach tree. What the tree is will show itself in the fruit. If you are connected to Jesus, it will show itself in the way you live your life. It will come out in the way that you live. <clears throat> now listen, it's not that we obey God's commands in order to make ourselves good enough to be with him. 
I don't want you to get into this trap of saying, well, I better obey God because I want him to be happy with me. No, that was taken care of at the cross. In fact, if you start thinking that you have to obey God just to make him happy, that's a cul-de-sac called legalism, where you'll always feel like if you have to do the right things, that's what makes you right with God. That's not true. We do these right things to show that we live in a right relationship with God. It shows it. Saying, I love God, I'm going to obey him with my life. That's my motivation for it. That's the high road that's called grace. Jesus is our model. Jesus is the example that we follow. This last winter, we got the experience of, of snow in our backyard. And after one particular snowfall, I went up our backyard to get some shoes that my daughter had left in our playset. I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. I just walked through the snow to back to the playset. I didn't realize that my youngest daughter, Brooklyn, was following behind me. I wasn't paying attention, but she was. She was making sure she was walking exactly in my steps, all the way up to the playset. When I looked back, there was only one set of steps. It was mine. But she was there with me. That's the idea. We are just copying Jesus' example. How did Jesus talk? How did Jesus live? How did he serve? What was he like? Let me just copy him. Let me just follow his example. That's what John is saying. Listen, if you say that you are connected with God, that you have a relationship with him, live like him. That means this. We in our lives, we should be pointing to Jesus. Our lives should be a reflection of him. It should not be a reflection of the celebrities that we like or the influencers that we follow. It should not be a reflection of the worldly trends that are here or the worldly friends we may have. It should not be any kind of a reflection over things in this world, what we think and what we feel. What it should be is a big spotlight that shows Jesus with our lives. That's what it means to live like Jesus. And that's what John is saying in this passage. When we live for him, when we live for Christ, it will show itself in the way that we live. I'm not saying that our lives are going to be perfect. We are going to fall sometimes. But is the direction of our life showing that we have a relationship with Jesus? Because the important truth is this. If your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. Just recently, I sat with a person who got it. In our conversation, she asked, do you see Jesus in me? Do you see Jesus in me? She was asking because she was concerned about her relationship with God. Is it, is it real? We spent the next 10 minutes sharing all the ways that we have seen God evidenced in her life and how she showed Jesus off everywhere she went. Living for Christ shows itself in the way that we live our lives. Let me close with this. Back in high school, I took Spanish as my second language, and the last Spanish class I took, I got in, sat down, and the teacher got up and said, these are the last words I'm going to speak to you in English for the rest of the class. What? How am I supposed to know what you're going to say? How am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to learn? How am I supposed to know what to put on the test? I don't know how I'm going to do this class. Well, my Spanish teacher was amazing. She spent a lot of time slowly telling us how to pronounce words, giving us examples that we could follow to understand how to use certain phrases and words. We'd take quizzes and tests. How do we interpret this? How do we translate this? 
It was going really great until the end of the class when she said, okay, it's time for the final. This is how the final is going to be. You're not going to get any true or false questions, no short answer, no multiple cho uh, choice, no definitions, no translations, none. Your final exam is going to be a conversation with me. That was it. So each one of us in the class, we had a time where we sat with our teacher and we had a conversation. She wanted to know, did any of the things that we had learned in class make any difference in our understanding and ability to communicate the Spanish language? Thankfully, I passed the test. Don't ask me any Spanish because that was too long ago and I don't remember. But the point is this. It made a difference in the way that we functioned afterwards. The information that we learned had an output. It showed itself in us being able to communicate. In your relationship with Jesus, how do you know that it's true? How do you know that your faith is real? It comes when you do these three things that John says. When you obey God, it shows your faith is true and genuine. When your love for God shows itself in obeying God, that shows your faith is true and genuine. When you live like Jesus, it shows that your faith is real and genuine. It will transform your life. When I was young, I struggled so much. I would go to bed every single night, every night without fail. Lord, if I do not have a relationship with you, I pray that I will have one now. I was worried so much. I, I am telling you, I had no confidence with my salvation when I was younger. So every night I would pray either, God, if I'm not saved, save me now. Or, God, if I didn't say the right things then, then please know that I really, really mean it, that I really want a relationship with you. Every single night for years I would do that. It wasn't until college that I finally understood that my faith was wrapped up in Jesus, in his work on my behalf, and not my prayer, that it made any difference. And it wasn't how well I prayed or how many times I prayed that I looked to as the assurance of my salvation, but the fact that my life now was far different than when I began following Jesus. So as you look at your lives and you face the question, is my faith real? Is it genuine? The question you need to ask is, has my faith changed me? Because if your faith hasn't Almost got it. If your faith hasn't, your faith hasn't, let's try that one more time. If your faith hasn't, your faith hasn't, that's the truth that John wants us to grasp. God, thank you for giving us this truth. Thank you for giving us this test that helps us to realize and understand and grasp that you love us so much and you've saved us. And if we have that relationship with you, it's going to show itself in the way that we live our lives. God, I pray that you would give us that great joy that comes in the assurance that our faith is true and genuine. God, that is what you want for us. You want us to be full of joy, and we know we can be full of joy when we know for certain that our eternity is secure, and we know for certain our eternity is secure by the way that we live our lives, which shows that we truly know you. Thank you for that. Help us to live in that assurance with joy, for we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.